God deserves every praise from every creature every day. This is the Everyday Christian Podcast. to the Everyday Christian Podcast. This is a special podcast in that you're listening to part B of episode 10. So if you have not listened to the first part of episode 10, what you need to do is you need to back up and you need to go and listen to uh, season 2, episode 10, part A. Okay, so this is part B and this is me discussing Everyday Christians in the voting booth with John Mitchell. And again, if you have not listened to part A of this episode, season two, episode nine, then back up and listen to that, and then you will be prepared to listen to this part of episode nine. Uh, John has been discussing uh, general biblical principles involving voting and government and politics, and now for this second half, he's going to get into his lesson from the 2018 Power Lectures the devil in D.C., and how the devil is is using governments uh, against us. Now, this is not going to be a chastisement of government. It's not going to be a chastisement of, of voting or anything like that. But what this will deal with is, is how, through those avenues, sometimes the devil can uh, use this neutral thing and make it a bad thing. And so how we need to make sure that we as Christians respond properly to government, to uh, voting, politics, so on and so forth. So I I really hope that you stick around and listen to what John has to say on this important subject. All right, well, uh, John, we're going to talk about your your three main points that you mentioned in that uh, lesson, The Devil in D.C. And basically what you mentioned was the devil influences us through politics, through D.C., in the following three ways. Number one, infliction. Number two, ignorance. And number three, idolatry. Now, you spent just a minute or two on that first one, uh, infliction. Would you you kind of like to explain to the listeners what you meant by that first point? Sure. Um, Satan has the goal to keep us out of heaven, plain and simple. That's his goal. And he uses politics and the government, which, you know, we can we can say that there's a lot of problems with politics and the government, but there's also a lot of good that politics and the government do as well. So I'm not going to say that politics and the government are inherently evil. I'm not going to say that they're inherently good either. They are, you know, they're just like so many things in life. They can be good or evil. Uh, depending on how we use them. But uh, Satan can use these uh, inherently neutral things uh, to achieve his goal to keep us out of heaven in several ways. And I mentioned infliction being the first one. When I said infliction, I'm talking about persecution. Um, And I think that all of us are aware how governments have persecuted 
followers of God. They always have. Uh, it's, it's been something commonplace throughout history. Uh, it continues today. Uh, even in America, with freedom of religion and freedom of speech, uh, you know, Christians are persecuted, although... You know, from a historical perspective and from a global perspective, uh, the persecution that we receive that has to do with uh, the government is a lot less extreme than other places in the world today. And it's a lot less extreme than uh, how it's been in other countries throughout history. It's definitely a lot less extreme than what the early Christians had to deal with from uh, the Jewish government and also the Roman government in the first century. But um, uh, Jesus told us that if that persecution would take place, one of the most well-known Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount was, you know, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 10. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and other utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in the Old Testament, the prophets who were persecuted, a lot of that a lot of times they were persecuted from the government. Um, uh, Moses faced persecution from Egypt. Jeremiah faced persecution from uh, the unrighteous kings of uh, Judah. Uh, Daniel faced persecution from Babylonian authorities as well. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also. And, you know, I can give you many other uh, biblical accounts from that. But uh, Paul said uh, right when he was about to die by beheading from Nero's government, he said in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that all who desire to live Godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, um, and the government certainly plays a part in that. And I think when we think of how Satan uses the government and politics to achieve his goals, I think that most Christians that that's what they think of. They think of persecution, and right. um, and so that's why in the sermon I didn't I didn't spend all that much time on it because I wanted to focus on other areas that Christians might not be giving that much thought to. But right. certainly, infliction or persecution is definitely uh, a way that uh, politics and government it, are used in wicked ways to harm the followers of God and, and influence their walk with God in a negative way. Right. And one point I'd like to make, um, just... Again, in the realm of opinion, my particular opinion is that as far as voting is concerned, uh, Christians might want to step up and vote to try to uh, keep some of that infliction from affecting us, trying to protect our freedoms and so on. And, and we have that right that is guaranteed, guaranteed to us by the Constitution to do so. But again, that's just my opinion on that. One, I, think, I think that what Christians could be well-suited to do is to educate themselves, not just on what the Bible says about things like this, but also about just how our system of government actually works. Like, right. you're, you know, you told your listeners, and, and I talked about it as well, just how much um, 
just how much uh, focus I've given on American history and and uh, presidential politics and things like that. Uh, I have a degree in it, and uh, one of the things that I've learned is um, we tend to give a lot of focus on the federal level. Um, it, that's where we tend to think that the most difference can be made. Um, and so we really put a lot of emphasis on, uh, you know, presidential elections, uh, U.S. Senate, U.S. Congress, the Supreme Court. And there is a need to do that. I'm not saying that there is that there isn't um, a degree of importance to that. But most Christians, I I. I in an election year, you ask most Christians, they'll know who Donald Trump and Joe Biden are. Right. Uh, they probably will not know uh, who their congressman is. Maybe they might know on the federal level, but if you were to ask them, who's your lo- who's your state representative? Right. They probably would have no idea. Yep. Uh, they might not even know the name of the mayor of their town. Right. Uh, they might not know what their governor, their state governor, governor did or did not do, or what their state's Congress passed. Um, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because when you talk about uh, guarding the freedoms that we have, so that um, so that persecution uh, does not intensify, one of the things that actually happens, the way it's set up in our in our uh, system of government, is there's more that happens on the local and state level for that than there is on the federal. The federal, it does happen on the federal, it does, but there's even more that happens on the local and state. And um, and so it, to, to get to your point, if Christians are going to, if Christians are need to vote, and that is an opinion, right? then, you know, we talk about not wasting your vote. You know, there's a lot of talk about that. You know, there's voting smart. Well, you know, find out what your local and state uh, representatives are doing and and make your vote count towards that not just uh, don't just focus only on the president absolutely and, and uh, what the president does the president constitutionally can do very very little um, that's lo- that's long lasting right and uh, same thing with uh, uh, with Congress Congress can do a lot but it takes it takes a lot to to enact change on the federal level. It uh, a lot of change that matters to local people. There's a lot more that happens on the local and state level, and we need to be aware of that. Right. So a couple of, of points I'll I'll kind of piggyback on uh, on this point. Number one, you mentioned that a lot of Christians are not aware of these civic. Uh, aspects of of american life and uh, we want to make sure everybody knows look it's not a sin uh, to be unaware of those things Um, it might not be the wisest thing perhaps uh, in my opinion uh, probably in your opinion as well Uh, but it's not a sin to be unaware of those things and after all philippians 3 verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven and again as we've already talked about that's our foremost responsibility and really the big responsibility of a Christian is to keep our citizenship in heaven. Uh, But if we do choose to vote, if we do get uh, involved in politics, then it is definitely wise for us to be aware of those things. 
And another thing that you said that I really like is um, you talked about politics, government being kind of neutral. You know, it, 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 it's not inherently sinful or good. And really, I think also of another example of that would be money. First Timothy chapter six, it's not inherently sinful or good. It's neutral. Uh, money can be a very good thing in the right hands. If we send it to uh, to mission works, uh, if we're doing good things with it at the local level on the church, money can be very good. But it also can be very bad and, in fact, sinful when you get into the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil, and um, not not using our money wisely, not being good stewards of it, not giving to the church, uh, using it for sinful purposes and, and things of that nature. So I really like what you said about kind of the neutral ground of governments, and governments can be a good thing, they can be a bad thing. Uh, as you, to your point of infliction, sometimes governments are a bad thing in that they make the Christian life much more difficult, and we're all uh, guaranteed at least some form of persecution. All who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution or shall suffer persecution, uh, but at the end of the day, we still have responsibility toward the government, which we have already mentioned in Romans chapter 13. Uh, the, the only other point that uh, I'll bring up about persecution, and this is, uh, I found this very, very interesting, is if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the persecution that the first century Jewish Christians were experiencing uh, from uh the Jewish government, uh, because as you know, the Acts brings out how the Jews were uh, persecuting uh, Christians. The Apostle Paul took a big role in that uh, before he became a Christian. Um, but one of the things that is brought out by God through the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 12 in, in talking about this persecution, he, he calls the persecution the discipline of the Lord. And he says that, uh, basically, that this persecution, this discipline, is for our good. Right. Verse 10, that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And Revelation brings this out, too, that basically God can use infliction and persecution to strengthen us spiritually. Right. Uh, and that, you know, it could be. Who knows? Uh, there's no way that you and I can tell. But we, you, you hear a lot of uh, worry um, among brothers and sisters in Christ about our freedoms being taken away. Um, again, I think that there needs to be, we need to educate ourselves a lot more on the uh, the safeguards that religious liberty have in this country. There's a lot more safeguards uh, that are put in place legally than just the First Amendment to, to protect our religious liberty. And uh, most Christians aren't aware of that. Right. But even if those safeguards are taken away, and even if, you know, we lose the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech, and they're the persecution that we get in the United States of America becomes a lot more amped up on the governmental level. 
Right. Um, from a spiritual perspective, what Hebrews is telling us is that could be a good thing. Right. It could help us become stronger spiritually. It refines um, us. It purifies us. Exactly. And, I mean, I it's not something that I want. Right. I mean, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to undergo anything close to what the apostles went through. Right. But at the same time, uh, I have to take, a, I have to trust God here when he is bringing up that sometimes things like this that we might not want, it seems painful for us rather than pleasant, but in the end it could be exactly what we need. The church in America in the late 20th century and in the 21st century, the church in America has become complacent. Yes. Uh, it's become very apathetic about its Christianity. Lukewarm. Uh, yes, I, I lukewarm. And one of the things that I brought out is, uh, uh, well, we have a lot of Christians are so focused on what happens politically. They say we have to be because uh, freedom, our freedom of religion, our freedoms are at stake. And you know what? I I respect that, and I I appreciate that, and I understand it. But the only thing I would add to that, the question that I would have is, are, well, how are we using those freedoms right now? What are you, the freedom of religion that you have, how are you using that freedom to spread the gospel? Yeah. And a lot of Christians aren't. Right. They, a lot of Christians have this freedom that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, they would have loved it. Yep. Uh, and, uh, but we're, we're not using it. Not, well, some of us are, of course, but there are a lot of us who aren't. Right. And um, who knows? I mean, it could be that in the end, uh, God providentially might uh, use government for infliction in worse ways here in America in order to make us stronger about his cause. Right. And what he wants us to do. And, and long for that citizenship no, in heaven. Exactly. And there's no, there's no way for us to know that for certain right now. I mean, this is just a... Uh, this is just something that's a possibility in my mind, but um, I mean, it is a possibility, and it's something that Christians should think about. Right. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and move on to your second point, and this is where you spend a lot of time, and that is ignorance. It, this is very true. Uh, Satan uses politics and government to, again, the goal he has is to keep us out of heaven. He uses politics and government to achieve that through ignorance. And when I say ignorance, I'm talking about ignorance of what God says in his word about politics and government. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. And many, many of us in the church today, we either have forgotten or we do not know what the Bible teaches in its entirety about the will of God for government, for governmental rulers in general. And that ignorance has a direct impact on our worldview when it, concerning what goes on in the political arena. John, do you um, think that do you think that that is because of you know the subject of politics is so taboo that we just ignore it and we even ignore what God's word says about it? Oh no, I think it's I think it's the opposite. It's not. I don't think that the subject of politics is taboo. Now it might be taboo. In uh, in pulpits, yeah, and I think that there's a, um, I think that there is a place for discussing uh, certain political subjects, but 
also just uh, getting in the pulpit and talking about uh, the pros and cons of of a candidate. I think there's not a place for that right. in the pulpit. But politics is not taboo in, in among Christians because, I mean... We talk about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. Um, and so, uh, in fact, we, I think that the, re, the ignorance of God's Word comes from... from of what, uh, the ignorance of God's Word on what God's Word says about politics, I think the reason for that is because we are not actually studying God's Word like we should because so much of our focus is on politics. And if not politics, then other things, TV, sports, our jobs, recreation, things of that nature. Pretty much everything except for what we should be focusing on. Exactly, exactly. Now, in talking about ignorance of what the Bible says, now, most Christians are aware of Romans 13, uh, the first seven verses, which tells us to be subject to the governing authorities. Most Christians are aware of Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And so, you take those two passages together, the apostles said that we need to be subject to the governing authorities, except when the governing authorities tell us explicitly to disobey God and and not do what he's told us to do, uh, particularly when it comes to not evangelizing anymore, because that's what was happening in Acts 5.29. So if the government tells us to do something that violates God's word, we must obey God rather than men. But here's the thing. Uh, I think we need to be honest and realize that our government here in America actually does not demand, and I'm going to emphasize that word demand, our government does not demand all that much that directly goes against God's word. Right. So and far. So we, yeah, so far. But let, but that's what we're dealing with. We're, we're dealing with the present and right. we're dealing with the past. Right. Uh, you know, so that means, Romans 13 means that we ought to drive the speed limit. We ought to wear our seatbelts. Um, if, if the state of Georgia tells me to not hold my cell phone while driving, then I should not do it. Right. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 of Romans 13 tells us to pay to all what is owed them, that uh, we are to pay taxes and revenue to the government because the government is owed that. Um, And yes, if there is something that's going on that's atrocious, like abortion or same-sex marriage or some other policy that we don't like, we can protest it, but we need to protest it within the parameters of the law of the land. Romans 13 alone, just Romans 13 by itself, would not allow us to cause a riot. It would not allow us to inflict harm on others. And there are many other scriptural tenets that bring that up. But Romans 13 would, by itself, prohibit us from uh, protesting through rioting. Uh, That should go without saying, but it's something that needs to be said in in light of what's been going on in recent months. Right. Uh, I would say that Romans 13, another thing that many people are aware of concerning Romans 13 is it says that government authorities have been instituted by God and we resist them. We resist God. We will incur his judgment. Uh, Governmental rulers, verse 4, exist to motivate citizens to good conduct, not bad. They are God's servant and an avenger to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And, you know, that was written in the context of Romans 12, which tells Christians to bless their persecutors and repay no one evil for evil and to not 
avenge ourselves on wrongs done to us, but leave it to the vengeance of God. And so governing authorities are one of the ways that God avenges wrongdoing that's done on the righteous, and that's why they don't bear the sword in vain. And now in the manuscript, I bring out a lot about what do not bear the sword in vain talks about concerning capital punishment and war and incarceration and things like that. Um, but generally, Romans 13 is the go-to passage. Right. It's a passage that, it's usually the only passage that's brought up if, if Christians want to talk about what the Bible says about government. But Romans 13 is not the only passage by far. I mean, if you go to the Old Testament, look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, which says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, what does that have to do with the government? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, look at the history of the nation of Judah. The leadership. When, exactly. When were the few bright spots in Judah's history when they were not committed to idol worship? It's not a coincidence that those were the times when they were ruled by righteous kings like Hezekiah and Josiah. So that's something that Christians need to remember. God's Word has a lot to say about what kind of men or women our leaders in government should be. Um, in, in our current political climate, we tend to point out that the Bible condemns you know, abortion and homosexuality and homosexual marriage, and that is good, it's necessary that we talk about what the Bible says about that, and we need leaders who fear God, we need leaders, uh, men and women, who view those wicked acts the way that God views it, but here's the thing, usually uh, Christians will just focus on that, they'll focus on opposition to abortion, in opposition to homosexual marriage, and really, in recent time, in recent years, we're, we're really not focusing on homosexual marriage as much as we used to. But right now, the main focus is abortion. But there's more that the Bible says about what governmental leaders need to need to do and need to be. Uh, Jethro, in Exodus chapter eighteen, verse twenty-one, you remember him? Yep. He told he told Moses to appoint trustworthy leaders over Israel. That's in the Word of God for a reason. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 12. This is something that is never brought up. Proverbs 16, verse 12. It says, It is an abomination for kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. That is in the Bible for a reason. God wants righteous, truthful people to sit on the throne. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 3. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Again, that's in the Bible for a reason. And the reason it's in the Bible is because, well, think of Solomon. You remember Solomon? In an, in an election year, we are always told uh, that the economy matters most of all um, yep. when it comes to choosing a leader. But Solomon brought Israel the most wealth that they would ever have in their history. And yet, he also became extremely idolatrous and immoral. And if you read Old Testament history as a whole, you'll see that it was Solomon's immorality and idolatry. That's what started the path to his country's downfall. Yep. Again, that's in the Bible for a reason. 
And, and Solomon Solomon ended his life, I believe, right with God, and, and we see that in Ecclesiastes, I think. But still, yes. he, he he set a horrible precedent for kings that followed him. Exactly. And But usually Christians, we we're talking about how Satan uses ignorance. Christians, I think, have forgotten that if they knew it to begin with. Right. Uh, you know, there are, in the manuscript, there are so many passages and that I bring out from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes uh, that show what God wants in government. Um, he wants a certain kind of person to be in power. He wants men and women who are honest and not greedy. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 12, 28, verse 16, 29, verse 4, all that, those passages are show that to be true. He wants leaders who surround themselves with wise counselors, Proverbs 25, verse 5. He wants leaders who are tough on crime. That's very relevant to our current situation. Yes, it is. Proverbs, Proverbs 20, verses 8 and 26 bring that out. He wants leaders who do not oppress the poor. He wants leaders who refuse to enable the lazy. Um, Proverbs 28, verse 15, 29, verse 14, Proverbs 31, verse 9, all of that brings all of those passages bring this out. Um, in Ecclesiastes, uh, you can read in many, many passages that uh, it, it can show exactly how bad government, governmental authorities can get if they aren't, in fact, godly people who fear God. And Christians, um, Christians focus on the atrocities of abortion and same-sex marriage and we directly correlate those as the result of ungodly leadership. And we are correct. That is the truth. But the Bible brings out a lot more than just that. Right. And, um, for example, in Ecclesiastes, uh, let me ask you, let me ask your listeners a few questions. Uh, if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter three, uh, and look at verse 16, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16, it says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. How often do we hope for righteous government, for uh, righteous judgment from government, but instead all we see is wickedness and iniquity? Pretty often. And well, I mean, Solomon brings that out. Uh, if you go to chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, look at verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Do we see the tears of those who are oppressed by people who are in power today? Certainly we do. Look at chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, verses 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way a king committed to cultivated fields. You know, we, we all know about how justice is perverted by those backroom deals that are made between politicians and lobbyists and, and businesses and dictators and others who are in positions of power. That's exactly what Solomon's talking about here in chapter 5. Yep. And, and chapter 8, I'm not going to read 
all of chapter 8, but if you read pretty much verses 1 through 14 of chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, and then think about what you've seen here, what that passage is talking about is things that we've seen in government today. We've seen presidents uh, and other rulers act foolishly. We've seen uh, presidents, governors, congressmen, some of them rule to their own detriment, only to be forgotten in the years after their deaths. That's what Ecclesiastes brings out in chapters 8. We've seen some in governmental authority choose to persist in their wickedness because they knew they would get away with it. They knew that their judgment would not come quickly. Solomon warned about all of that in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. Um, and I bring out other things as well, but Christians don't... I, I, I would be surprised if more than a handful of members of the church were aware of these passages. Right. We, uh, we don't focus on that. In fact, here's something else. If you go to Psalm 118, verse 9, it says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Yep. Psalm 146, verse 3, Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. I wonder how many, how many of my brethren realize that those two verses are in the Bible. Right. Because in election years... It seems that that's exactly what we're doing. We are putting the majority of our trust in princes rather than in the Lord. Well, sometimes we forget where our hope lies. Exactly. I mean, and I think you would agree with me, uh, we're not de-emphasizing the importance of this um, being an election year and what have you. Um, Again, we have the right as Christians to either get involved or not. But we cannot underemphasize the importance of heaven. That is the most important pursuit in our life, period, regardless of what happens in politics. Exactly. And uh, again, I want to stress, I'm not saying that uh, elections don't really matter. I'm not saying that voting doesn't really matter. I'm not saying that politics doesn't matter. What I am saying is that there are there is something that matters even more. Right. And a lot of us, I think, have forgotten that. Absolutely. Now, here's some other things that the Bible says about government that Christians don't talk about all that much. We may, Many might not even uh, know it to begin with. You know, we, uh, we're told to pray for those in governmental authority positions. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Um, the question that I have is, do we actually do that? Uh, do we do we pray for our governmental leaders? Uh, but I have another question as well. You know, Chase, worship is in spirit and truth, right? John four twenty four. Exactly. And vain worship. What did Jesus say about vain worship? It honors God with our lips, but our heart is where? Far from him. Exactly. So when we pray, pray uh, praying is an act of worship, right? Yes. So when we pray for our governmental leaders, do we pray for all of them? And do we pray from the heart? Do we mean it when we pray? Hmm. Well, yeah, you know, of course, I pray for my president, I pray for my senator, I pray for my governor. Well, all right, that's wonderful. Well, what about the last president? Right. 
What about the president from the other party, the party that you are completely against? What about that congressman from the other party that you don't like? What about the government from the other party that you didn't vote for, but he won the election anyway? Do you pray for them? And if you do, how often do you do it? And when you pray, is it from the heart? Is it sincere? Do you really, really want the best for that politician, even though you can't stand the fact that they're in office? Right. Christians need to think about that. And that that's and that some, leads, that's some tough know, that's some tough stuff, but it's true. Yeah, and that leads me to something else, another responsibility that God has given us concerning governmental leaders, but we don't talk about it all that much. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, you look at verse 9, Peter tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in verse 11, he tells us to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our souls. And then in verse 12, he tells us, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's in verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And then right after that, Verse 13, the very next verse, what does he say? 1 Peter 2, verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And then what's that last part? Honor the emperor. Now, what are we told to do concerning government here? Be subject. Yes, that's what Romans 13 says. But Peter also says we are to honor everyone. And then he said, honor the emperor. You know what the early church would have said to Peter? Him? They, they would have said, Peter, you are telling us to honor Nero. Right. Nero is the one who blames Christians for setting Rome on fire. Nero is the one who takes Christians and sets them on fire while they're still alive so that he can see his garden at night. That's what history tells us. Right. The early church would say, hey, Peter, Nero is going to kill you. Nero is going to kill Paul, and you're telling us to honor him? Why in the world should we do that, Peter? And Peter would say, verse 9, because you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And the reason you are all those things is so that you can proclaim his excellencies. In other words, so that you can bring the gospel to the lost. He would tell those early Christians, because you are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, you have to keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the non-Christians, honorable. So Why? So that they can be influenced to glorify God. In other words, so that they can be influenced to become Christians. And then in verse 16, you are to do this so that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And that's exactly what Paul told Titus teach Christians to do in Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 verse 1 he told Titus I want you to teach them to honor governmental authorities and if you read through verse 9 
He told them to do that for the same reason, so that we can let our light shine, so that we can influence the lost to obey the gospel, so that we can help ourselves to grow. And that's what he said in Romans 13, verse 7, too, to give honor to whom honor is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. And Chase, i got to tell you, after I've observed and I've been involved in more than 10 years of political conversations with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I can tell you that many of us have either forgotten these commands from God to honor governmental leaders, or we never knew it to begin with, and Satan uses that ignorance to achieve his goal to keep us and other people out of heaven. I have seen, for the past 20 years online, I've seen a lot of Christians, not just online, but in personal conversation. I've seen a lot of Christians say the most insulting things about their least favorite politician, and I'm talking insults. Right. Insults to the man's wife, insults to his children, and these are New Testament Christians who are doing this. And yes, we from from denominations, I, I see the same thing. From people who are who don't go to church at all, I've seen that too. And, and you know that's to be expected from people who don't go to church. But not just them, you know, New Testament Christians have told me over the years several times that their least favorite politician, quote, I'm giving you a quote from from a brother in Christ, he should be taken behind the barn and shot. Wow. Or something pretty equivalent to that. Now, in the past five years, since 2015, on two separate occasions, I saw New Testament Christians posting I hate to say this, but I saw New Testament Christians posting actual pornographic pictures containing real uncensored female nudity on Facebook so that they could get their politician to win and the other politician to lose. That's absurd. Yes, on, on five other occasions within a single year, I saw New Testament Christians post photoshopped pictures of politicians they don't like engaging in homosexual acts. They photoshopped two male politicians kissing. On many, many more occasions over the years, I have seen New Testament Christians post actual vulgarities, actual curse words that are not in any way edited or concealed. And these are quotes from either their favorite politician or their least favorite politician. And the reason they're posting it is because all that matters is that they score that political point, that they get that political victory so that they can influence the people who read it, who see their post, so that they can influence them to obey the gospel? No, that's not even a thought. No, they what they want is to influence the people who read and see that bill to vote for their guy to support their guy and to not vote and support the other guy. And Chase, I got to tell you, it sickens me. It really does. It, well, it, it, saddens, it, it should, saddens me and sickens me. It should sadden and sicken us. And, and one thing I want to caution the listener is because more than likely, um, my listenership is, is skewed one direction more than the other politically, and, and that's fine. But what I want to caution us is, and you probably agree with this, we see these kind of mentalities and mindsets toward 
both parties. It's not just one side. I mean, we see these sinful mentalities taking place in both parties, with Christians uh, being a Republican, a Democrat, uh, Independent, what have you. We see these sinful actions taking place regardless of what side of the spectrum we're dealing with. I've seen it with the current president. I've seen it take place with the last president and presidents before that. It just seems to be the case that that sometimes the the can of worms that is opened with politics leads to the temptation to act ungodly and, and do things in very sinful ways, even for Christians. Uh, let me ask, I agree completely with that. But let me ask this too. What, what do you think the, the person who isn't a Christian, what do you think that the non-Christian thinks if they see you or me, someone that they know is a Christian, someone they know goes to church, maybe someone they see praying over their lunch at work, or maybe reading their Bible during the lunch break. What do they think when they see us talk about politics? And they, it's not that we, we say, well, you know, I think the president is wrong, or I think Congress made a mistake here. They don't hear us saying that. Instead, what they hear us saying is, uh, the president's a fool. Right. What, what if they hear us cursing out the president or mocking his wife? Or, or, and I've heard brethren say this. What if they hear us say that this president or the last president or the congressman that we don't like should be shot? Which basically means that at best we're speaking lightly about assassination. Right. I mean, what do you think the non-Christian thinks? How do you think the non-Christian reacts to this from a spiritual perspective? Do you think that there's any chance that they think Christians are hypocrites? Yep. Do you think that there's any chance that their interest in the gospel and interest in the church has been destroyed? Of course. And Satan wins. And many of us have forgotten that, or we didn't even know it in the first place, that God wants us to honor governmental leaders, and that's not just the people we like. It's also the people who are on the other side of the aisle. Well, it it seems like Satan has a field day every election year. Oh, you know, Satan laughs and laughs and laughs every election year. Well, you know, it's even gotten beyond election year because, I mean, politics is what we talk about, at least on social media. Politics is what we talk about pretty much every day. Uh, We do it even more in election year, but if social media is any guy, we talk about it every day. Well, what, we, talk, uh, we talk about it. We talk about it in the ways that I've been describing. We talk about it in in ways that God would not be pleased with. Well, you even made an admission, which I appreciated in your sermon, that in 2016, uh, how many articles did you post about? Uh, the Bible or Jesus or evangelism, what have you, or how many articles did you read versus politics? And, and you admitted it was way more politics than it was Jesus Christ. You know, I'll tell you how it used to be for me. I'm gonna get, I mean, I'm going to uh, tell on myself about how old I am, but I was in college during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And so, I mean... During that, during the Monica Lewinsky thing, I mean, I I really focused on that. But you know, 
uh, eventually that ended and my attention left and it went on to other things. And then, uh, 2000 Bush versus Gore, especially that contested election. I mean, I was hooked. I was watching that and everything, but then when Bush became president and that crisis kind of ended, I, my attention went on to other things, but you know, September 11th, my attention would go back and then it would, you know, it would wane. So it used to be that the only time that I really, really focused on politics was if something big was happening or if it was an election year. In 2000, 2004, 2012, 2008, I would, you know, I would give a lot of attention. Uh, but it would not be like attention to the degree that it was in 2016, because in 2016, I didn't realize this till after the fact. I didn't really start realizing it until 2017. But 2016, I I, I suddenly realized that basically throughout that entire year, every day, the, the majority of the time that I spent uh, online, it was online, and it was it was not in studying God's word. It was reading political articles. And um, it was, if I, if I posted on social media, which I did a lot in 2016, it hardly any of it was about the Bible. Like, at least 95% of it, if not more, was about the election. Uh, the discussions I was in, none of it was about the Bible. It was all about the election. Right. And then in, and then in 2017, even with the election being over, I... Uh, for probably the first half of 2017, I realized that, you know, usually in the past, once the election was over, my or that big event was over, I, my, I would get back to focusing on other things. But now, I was focusing on politics all the time, every day. I had to know what was happening next. I had to comment about it. I had to read as much as I could about it. And It consumes I, you. I was consumed by it. And... Uh, I, the, the study that I was giving to the, to the Bible was minimal. The discussion I was having with other people about the Bible was minimal. And I'm a preacher for crying out loud. Right. And I, you know, I, I realized that that was wrong. Uh, something had to change. And I decided that I would purposefully limit myself to just two or three hours a week, not a day, a week, to listening to just one news source, uh, which uh, was a podcast, uh, that would be it. Uh, it would, and furthermore, it would happen after all of my responsibilities towards God, uh, either as a preacher or as a Christian, uh, that that would happen after all of my responsibilities had been fulfilled in a, a very good way. Only then would I allow myself uh, only two, three hours at the most per week of uh, political attention. And, you know, it, it took, I made that determination, I stuck with it, and um, I found that it's really helped my perspective in life, it's helped my spiritual walk with God. Uh, 
it's really helped me to grow as a Christian and get back some of the stuff that I lost. Right, and, and again, we're not saying don't get involved in politics. That's your exactly. that's your freedom. We're just I mean, saying I, I have, I'm exercising the freedom. I, I just admitted that I am giving attention to politics. Right. Still. You know, it's just that I realized that I was allowing it to take a higher precedence than God, and I and I just had to stop doing that. And again, if if uh, social media is a guide, and if personal conversations a guide, uh, I would say that it's that the same problem that I had had. Uh, a lot of my brethren have it. Might, they might not realize it, but they do. And it's something that we need to examine ourselves about, something that we need to take stock in and make some changes in. Not because politics is inherently wrong. It's not. Not because it's a sin to to give attention to political matters. It's not uh, in any way. It's a freedom that we have. But, again, uh, those freedoms must not take higher precedence than what God says for us to do. And that even our freedoms must be used to advance his cause. Um, his cause must be the most important thing. Absolutely. And, and so that kind of leads us into our last point. Uh, for those who are listening, uh, you might hear a train. I apologize. There's a train that, that uh, runs through Marietta all the time. Don't worry about that. Uh, you just, you might hear it. <laughs> but that leads us to our last point, And that is that, again, Politics not inherently sinful or good. Um, me personally, I think it is a very important election year. I mean, I do. But here's what we're going to say with the last point. We cannot allow politics to become an idol in our lives. And exactly. That was the third point in my lesson. The, the way that Satan uses government to further his agenda to keep souls out of heaven. And that is idolatry. And, you know... When, when brethren think of idolatry, they probably think of worshiping the image of a god that you read about in the Bible. And, you know, Satan successfully tempted Israel to do that over and over again in the Old Testament. And that is what idol worship, uh, that is a part of idol worship, but it's not the entirety of idol worship. Uh, Christians don't think that idol worship is limited to uh, Israelites worshiping Baal and you don't worship Baal and so idol worship is irrelevant to you because uh, the dictionary Webster's Dictionary also defines an idol as quote any object of ardent or excessive devotion or admiration unquote any object of ardent or excessive devotion or admiration so with that in mind uh, I would like all of us to consider a few things with honest open hearts uh, to get back to what I was talking about the problem in my own life Christian let me ask you this do we give our favorite leaders or the politicians we despise or politics in general more attention than we do with matters concerning our Christianity remember seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Are we really doing that? As I brought out, uh, I, I have failed in that area. I've seen others do it too. Uh, here's another question. I would like for us to, to give honest self-examination about. 
Do we find ourselves saying and believing that the goals and priorities of our favorite politician are also God's goals and priorities, even if there's no biblical support for that? How is that any different from Israel making a golden calf and claiming that it was the golden calf that was the God that brought them out of Egypt? Yep. You know, in the manuscript, I bring out how uh, I went online and I found a headline online that reads, Make America Great Again is now a CCLI licensed Christian worship song. Uh, a Baptist church in Dallas, Texas uses the song in worship. And in the manuscript, you can read the lyrics of the song. And all I'm going to say is, God is not mentioned in the song at all. God is not even hinted at in the song. And the song, According to the song, the lyrics of the song, the ones who are making America great again is are Americans, not God. And this is called a worship song. This is a song that's supposed to be sung as worship to God. Now, you know, the Bible says in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27, that it is God who determines nations' times and boundaries. And the reason God does that is because the goal God has is that nations should see Him, not themselves. But according to this song, the attention is not on God and not on His goals at all. Now, you know, Make America Great Again, you know, that's our president's motto, and frankly, I love it. I love the motto. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right, I agree. But I think that there is something wrong when a church takes the slogan and makes it a worship song. Right. And it's a song that doesn't even mention God, it doesn't even hint at God. That's idolatry. That is idolizing our nation's leaders, and Satan is laughing when we do that. What about this? What about this? And you mentioned this uh, in the sermon, and I'm sure in the manuscript as well. When we give our favorite guy or gal a pass, morally speaking, but yet when the other side uh, does the same thing, we point it out for them, but not our guy. You know, uh, here the question I asked for Christians to consider is this. Have we placed all our hopes on our favorite politician, even to the point of excusing away or even defending our favorite politician's gross misdeeds because we're afraid that if we don't do that, then people won't vote for them. And if people don't vote for them, then the other worst candidate will win. And if that happens, life is over and there will be nothing good for us ever, ever again. All hope is lost. Exactly. In two separate times over the past 25 years, I have observed Christians. Uh, first, the first time it was in one political party. The second time it was from the opposite political party. But I have observed Christians basically defending their favorite politicians' sexual misdeeds by saying, well, David was an adulterer too, and he was a man after God's own heart. Right. Well, the thing is, is that David repented, and that's why God forgave him. Yeah, but that's not really brought out all that much. Right. Over the past 30 years, I have seen brethren in both political parties excuse away or even defend actual criminal actions, 
actual heinous policies like abortion or homosexual marriage and terribly sexually immoral behavior. And the reason they, they excuse it all away or even defend it is because they liked particular politicians or they liked particular policies and they wanted to defend them. And again, when people who are lost in their sins, they're not Christians, when the non-Christians see Christians doing all this, how will they react? Yep. If you, if you want to know the answer to that question, get on Google and Google this phrase. Google three words, Christians, politics, hypocrisy. Just Google that. Christians, politics, hypocrisy, and read the numerous articles that come up. It is not pretty. Yep. The the church is not spoken of in a good way at all. And Chase, that matters. It does. It matters because, you know, the people who think these things about the church, who, who look at the church in a bad light, regardless of their political affiliation, those people have souls. And Jesus died for those souls. And Jesus wants us to reach those souls with the gospel. And that is what is supposed to be the most important priority for every single Christian. And for a lot of Christians, it isn't. Politics is. Our favorite guy winning elections is. You know, we, we shake our heads at the rich young ruler. And we say, ah, man alive, his money was more important than God. And and it was, wasn't it? Yep. But that's why Paul called covetousness idolatry yep. in Colossians. The question is, is politics more important to us than God? Is well, politics more important than the gospel? Are we practicing idolatry in this manner? The answer for many of us is yes. Yes, we are. Well, well, to that point, is the economic side of po- politics more important to us than the, the moral side of politics? I'll give you an example, and I hesitate to even bring this up because, again, I, I know my audience, and, and this is a thinking-type question, okay? Um, this is a hypothetical, okay? And I know hypotheticals in, in argumentation can be problematic sometimes. But I want us to think. That's why I bring this up. Let's say that you've got two candidates. Let's say you've got a Republican who's moderate, and you've got a Democrat who is a moderate. Who do you vote for? Uh, we get into some murky situations when when we intersect faith and politics. Let's say that this moderate Republican is very fiscally conservative, economically conservative, and so that helps our pocketbook. But let's say that this moderate moderate Republican is socially liberal. He's for the LGBTQ agenda. He's for abortion. Okay, now let's say that we have a moderate Democrat who is fiscally liberal. He He's for uh, welfare programs and things that uh, are not so good for, let's say, the working man's pocketbook, okay? But he's socially conservative. He is against uh, the LGBTQ agenda. He is against the um, the abortion agenda. Who do you vote for? That's the kind of murky situations that we can get into uh, if we choose to get into the political realm. What do you do? 
You see, and I'm afraid that sometimes we might be tempted to go with what's best for our pocketbook rather than what is the best thing from a moral standpoint. What do you think, John? And two things. Number one, this gets back to uh, not only the point we're making about idolatry, but also the point we, we made earlier about ignorance. And that is Christians need to uh, become very much aware of what the Bible says and what the Bible does not say about these matters. Uh, God In the Bible, God does not uh, give any indication on the virtues of capitalism versus any other type of economic policy. Uh, God does not give any sort of input on which foreign policy is the best one. God does not give any input on uh, which uh, economic formula might work best. God does give input on things like the killing of uh, innocent children. Uh, through God does give input on immorality such as homosexual marriage. And when we see things that God does give input on, and, and again, earlier in this podcast, I listed a lot of other things too. Right. But when we see things that God does give input on, if we are to truly seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then that should be the most important thing. That's, uh, if we are to avoid idolizing politics, then that should be the perspective we have. In order to have that perspective, we need to avoid uh, biblical ignorance by familiarizing ourselves more with what the Bible teaches and what the Bible does not say about things like this. But the second thing that I would bring up is, uh, again, I bring, remember what I said earlier about Romans 14, verse 22? Mm-hmm. You know, voting in and of itself is a freedom we have. Right, and it would do so. It would be so, so beneficial to the cause of God overall if we simply followed what Romans fourteen verse twenty two says about our freedoms, and that includes the freedom of voting, the faith that you have, the opinion that you have. Uh, contextually, keep it between yourself and God. Happy is the man who is who does not condemn himself and what he approves. You know, we. I think we, uh, I see this on social media a lot uh, and in personal conversations. We, we tend to think that we just have to tell people our positions on everything. Yeah. Uh, why do we, why do we have to do that? Well, I mean, what real purpose will it serve? You know, generally speaking, the algorithms, the algorithms of Facebook and Twitter will make it so that you're preaching to the choir. You know, if you tell people on Facebook where you stand on on a political matter, the overwhelming majority of them are going to be people who already agree with you. Right. You know, so what? why do we have to tell people? Why do we have to tell people, you know, I'm going to vote for so-and-so, or I'm not going to vote for so-and-so? If we simply decided to keep it to ourselves, and, let, and go ahead and, if we go ahead and make that vote, Okay, we have the freedom to do that, you know? 
But if we go, if we, if we just simply kept it to ourselves, then we would not be opening up the possibility of someone who hears us and disagrees with us. We, we turn them off to us giving them the gospel, you know, and that is a major, that is a major possibility because we are, we live in a politically polarized environment right now. Right. And people, how, how people, uh, people's political positions play a major impact on how other people view them. If we were to lower the amount of advertising we give about our own political position, then it might just open up more people's minds when we decide to share the gospel with them later on. Uh, like, for example, you know, um, your listeners, if I had to take a guess, they're probably like me. They are very pro-life. Um, they're very anti-abortion. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, probably the majority of the people that are that we are friends with are also people who are uh, pro-life and anti-abortion. But we might, uh, in real life, we're also on social media, we might have some people that we interact with who are pro-abortion, right? Right. Well, in all probability, those people who are pro-abortion, they need the gospel of Christ, right? Right. They certainly do. But abortion is such a, a hot potato topic right now that uh, if, if I go out and I just... If I just really slam pro-abortion people on social media or in my everyday conversation, if I go ahead and I slam them, you know, I, the, everyone that's listening to me that already agrees with me, they're gonna they're gonna give me an amen, right? Right. But the people who are pro-abortion, they're probably once they read that and and they see that I basically slammed them then they're probably going, if they're on social media, they're probably going to click the unfollow button right. or the lock button. Now, if they're in real life and they hear me just really slam the pro-abortion pro people, oh, you all are murderers and you're, you're terrible people. Well, you know, you can make the argument that that, that would be the case, but at the same time, they need the gospel. Are they going to be open to hearing the gospel from me? Probably no. not. And really, how are we going to change them? How are we going to change their perspective so that they have a viewpoint of, of babies in the womb that is God's viewpoint? How are we going to get them to do that? It is the gospel. Right. The gospel is what changes people's souls. Uh, you want to really change our society for the better? You want to really get more and more people in this culture to look at abortion as an atrocity uh, like like they should? You need, to, you need to share the gospel with them. You need to convert them to Jesus. And the rest, the rest will fall in line. Yeah, everything else will fall in line after that, but... What happens is, you know how Jesus says, don't put stumbling blocks in front of people? Right. Well, you know, like it or not, in this polarized society that we live in right now, politics is a stumbling block. Right. And I'm not saying that it's a 
sin to talk about politics. I'm saying that we need to be very wise in how we do it. Right. If we if we are dealing with someone who shares different political views than we do, and let's say those different political views have to do with something that God calls sin, and they are on the wrong side of what God calls sin, then we need to realize that the most important thing is to not let those liberals have it. The most important thing is they need the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just so that they'll change their view on abortion, but even more importantly than that, so that they can be saved from the eternity in hell. And if I go ahead and I just let let them know that I think that everyone who is like them are terrible, terrible people, then I have just turned them off to any hope that they would give me a fair hearing if I should share the gospel with them in the future. It's not worth that. We need to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves, as Jesus said. And uh, I think brethren need to real need to think about these things. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 12 that he was willing to endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verses 23 and 24, he also went on to say that even things that are permitted by God may still not be helpful or edified. Right. He then, he then said that we should not seek our own, but the other person's well-being. In, cha- in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verses 25 through 31, he said that we must be willing to sacrifice even our freedoms if it would be spoken evil of and hinder glory being given to God. And I read to you earlier, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 through 33, whatever we do must be done for God's glory, that we should give no offense to anyone, that we should not seek our own profit, but the profit of many. And the reason is so that they may be saved. Absolutely. Our mission is not to win elections. Even though winning elections is important, our mission is not to enact policies, even though enacting policies in and of itself is important. Our mission is to save souls. Right. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to not hinder the gospel being delivered to them. Our mission is to do everything within our power to help the lost have an open mind when they receive that gospel. That's supposed to be the most important thing, and on Judgment Day, it will be the most important thing. On Judgment Day, it's going to be the only thing that matters. You know, Paul told Timothy that our purpose is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and then he said, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, First Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. But we are entangling ourselves in the affairs of this life when our attention and allegiance and focus to politicians is higher than our attention and allegiance and focus to Christianity. That is what idolatry is all about. Right. Satan wins when we fall into this, cla- uh, this trap of his. So we need to be balanced. We need to be balanced. I'm not, again, to stress, I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. What I'm saying is don't get so caught up in politics that your focus is off of Jesus. 
don't let your favorite political cause, whether it's saving the lives of the unborn, stopping same-sex marriage, gun control, immigration, whatever it is, don't let that take a higher priority than the saving of souls. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. God has not commanded that you have to vote or that you have to support anyone. That's a freedom you have. But God does expect us to not allow any freedom we have to interfere with his cause in any way. If your favorite candidate who is in office or he's running for office, let's say that he's an immoral person personally, but you like his policies, and let's say that those policies do not go against God's uh, revealed will in any way, you know, you can support that candidate's policies in a way that doesn't give people the impression that you support their immoral character. Right. You can you can tell people that yep. as often as you need to, or better yet, again, follow Romans 14, verse 22, and keep your opinion to yourself, because we don't have to actually share every opinion we have about every political event and that is a that's a hard pill to swallow because things are so polarized now it seems that you know we've got to draw battle lines over what flavor of oatmeal you're going to eat for breakfast yeah but you know what chase what i learned in 2016 is that um when i when i did that all i did was hinder the cause of christ i didn't help it right And, and to be clear we're not saying that we need to compromise uh, the truth with somebody. We're saying that we need to give them the meat of God's word as far as the foundational principles of the gospel. Let's convert them, and then as they become Christians, the growth process of becoming a Christian and desiring the, the sincere milk of God's word, eventually they will grow to the point where they say they see, look, this political thing that I've been supporting is supporting sin and something that is that is uh, anathema of God. I've got to stop supporting that. Exactly. You know, Chase, I believe that you and I live in the greatest country which has ever existed. And I think that America is great. I, I think that America is also not perfect. It has flaws. Um, I think that America may even become more flawed. We, we may one day lose religious freedom, um, but if we do, God can use that persecution to make us stronger, and whatever hardship comes our way is nothing compared to the eternity of heaven, right? Absolutely, because that's where our citizenship truly lies. That's right. And what I would encourage your, your listeners to remember is this, America is great and it can be even greater. I want it to be greater. Absolutely. Um, but here's the thing. If you want to, to, quote, make America great again, just realize this. The answer to that is not in politicians. The answer is you, Christians. You are the ones who will make America great again. And the way you make America great again is by winning souls for Christ. Yep. Because... Winning souls for Christ, that's what changes people's hearts. And when people's hearts are changed, they vote differently. Yep. Godly hearts will always vote for godly values and godly priorities concerning policy. That's how to make America great again. 
And, and go ahead. I was just going to say we need to not judge people according to the outward appearance. We need to judge righteous judgment. Uh, just because somebody is clearly, by the way they dress, by the way they associate, uh, by who they vote for, uh, way out in left field, let's say, doesn't mean that that person doesn't need Jesus Christ. They do. Exactly. And we need exactly. to evangelize them. Exactly. And, and that here's the thing. We all need to remember this point even more. Making America great again is a worthy goal, but it's not the ultimate goal. Right. That's helping souls get to heaven. That is the most important thing. It always has been. It always will be. Don't let Satan work in politics to get you to forget that. Nothing is more important than Christianity. Nothing is more important than saving souls. Nothing. Yep. This, this world is not our home. This country, I love it. I, I have lived my entire life here. I hope to die here. But America ultimately is not my home. Heaven is my home. Right. And Jesus wants heaven to be the home of those people whom we know who are lost. Including people whom we know who are lost who hold to different political positions than we do. Jesus wants them to go to heaven too. Yep. We need to help them get there. We really do. And I think that uh, a lot of us have uh, forgotten that. Absolutely. Well, John, I certainly appreciate you for helping us with this podcast. Uh, if it's okay, I may ask you to come back on sometime. I would love it. It's been a privilege. Uh, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for the topic again. Uh, you are off my Christmas card list now because you gave <laughs> me this topic, but... Uh, I'm going to practice my Christianity and forgive you anyway. Well, that so. sounds good. I appreciate that. And uh, again, I, I do uh, appreciate the work that you've put into this uh, way back in 2018 and in preparation for that lectureship sermon at, at South Haven. And in my opinion, it, it's spot on. Uh, it's not too far to the right or the left. Uh, it's it's balanced and, and I believe uh, on the right track. So I appreciate you, the listener, joining us for this podcast. And I want to encourage you to, to give us a like uh, on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast in the app, uh, the iTunes store, uh, give us a share, give us a rating, and, and we would appreciate that. That will help us grow. And also, don't forget that we will be joining the Scattered Abroad family of podcasts starting next season, which will begin, Lord willing, in January. Uh, go to that Facebook page, give it a like, give it a share, subscribe. And that will help that effort grow as well, as we have uh, seven podcasters uh, to date that are lined up to to uh, get that podcast effort started. And I'm so certainly glad that uh, they chose Everyday Christian Podcast to be able to uh, join in on that effort. Next episode, next week, Lord willing, we're going to be talking about a, a two-part series, uh, beginning with the Everyday Christian Mail with my good friend from preaching school, Drew Suttles, and then he will join us the following week as well to discuss the Everyday Christian Female. So I hope that you'll tune in and join us for those episodes of the Everyday Christian Podcast.